We've all heard the expression, famous last words. It can be rather ominous. On the other hand, a person's last words can be extremely profound and impacting. Now think about this. You have loved ones that you've cared for, maybe a group of people that you have cared for and been around for many, many years. And these are people that you have seen go through difficulties that seemed unimaginable. Joys that were so uplifting, you've seen them grow, you've seen them mature, you care deeply for them. And now you know that it's your time to leave them and to go and be with the Lord. What would you say to them? What would be your final words to these people that you have cared about and for for so many years. What would you want for them in their lives? There's someone in Scripture that has left us his last words, his final words, his desire for us. His name was Peter, and the Holy Spirit gave him words of encouragement for you to live a life of victory. Howdy, disciples, and welcome to the Creator's Calling Podcast. I'm Kurt Matz, and I'm the host of the show. And on this episode, we're going to begin a study that will go through the book of 2 Peter. Now, we may be in this book until the Lord comes. We are going to study through the book, as well as we're going to have the interviews with other artists and, and that going along with the other people in the arts to go right along with it. So these studies will be interspersed with the interviews. And I'm going to just rely on the Lord's leadership as to when to put a study, when to put a study in and when to have a guest. And you know, I, I, as I said in the original um, episode, the very first episode, the vision the Lord gave me for this podcast is that it would be a combination of things. It's going to be Bible study and to have guests come on as well. And these artists that we've had so far, they have been so wonderful and they have been such a blessing. And I'll tell you, you guys, your notes of encouragement when you've uh, written me about uh, how the podcast has impacted you, it is so wonderful. It just makes me so happy every time I get something like that because I see the Lord moving in your life and to see you built up and to see you encouraged through what the the guests have shared. It, they have been such a blessing. And aren't they just a great group? I mean, oh, good grief. They're just wonderful. So th these guys have been so good. So the, the podcast is always going to be this combination of things. But the Lord's going to minister to us in both ways. And what all I'm concerned about here is I follow his leadership because I want you guys blessed. Ultimately, I know the Lord wants to bless you. So we're going to start this study in Second Peter but it'll be stretched out along with the interviews and that as well. And the Lord will know just when to put in a study, just when to put in an interview. So I'm not even worried about that. There's one thing that I know, though, is that the Lord wants to build you up. And he's going to use both of these things to do that. And we need to be constantly strengthened in his word in these last days. You know, things are moving rapidly. And so it's easy to get our attention turned and to be distracted. And now more than ever, 
Focus is what we need. And whether it's with a guest or whether it's the teaching of God's Word, that's what happens, is we get focused on Him. We glorify Him. We get built up in Jesus. And that is tremendously exciting. So the Lord has really put this book on my heart, and it's so appropriate that we begin this study, that we look through, we go through this book, especially after, you know, we did, I did the, uh, the five-part series on what is a biblical calling. Now, if you haven't listened to those five episodes, go back and listen to them. The Lord has so much to encourage you there about what your calling is. And this book is a perfect follow-up to what we looked at in those uh, five podcasts. Now, one scholar put it this way about Second Peter now. He said, this epistle may be titled, The Believer's Conflict in the Latter Days. Peter's addressing the church and dealing with false teachers, with persecutions that seemed to be never-ending, rampant immorality, people who were mocked for believing in the return of Christ for his church. You know, Peter's days are just like our own. Battles are heating up. And they're spiritual in nature. Remember what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 12. He says, To put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces in the heavenly places. Remember what we're seeing take place when we look out into our world, no different than the world that Peter looked out into in his. And that is this, we're seeing a physical manifestation of a spiritual battle. And that battle is taking place on all fronts. And that battle is extremely heated within the arts community. That's why there's so much hesitancy to testify about Christ in our area of influence. You see, the arts are a major inroads to influence other people. And for you and I, we have to decide where we stand. And the context of this book is so important here because a lot of what we're going to see as we go through it was within the church. Rome was responsible for much of the persecution, but within the church, there were many troubles as well. You know, we see that right now in the church today that we live in. So many troubles. The condition of the church is difficult. And look at what some of these studies say. This is a, a study that was published by MyChristianDaily.com. Now, this is from August 24th, 2021. So in, in real time, it was about three weeks ago. And here it was from a uh, ministry called Probe Ministries, and it's a study of born-again believers and uh, from the ages of 18 to 39. Born-again believers, ages 18 to 39. 60% do not believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation. 60%. They believe that Buddha, Muhammad, are all equally valid paths to salvation. 30%, and these again, remember, these are born-again believers. 30% say Jesus was not perfect and probably sinned. Only 16% of those surveys believed in the objective, absolute nature of biblical morality. 
25%. 25% believe in the divinity of Christ. See, that's the condition of the church. I put that in air quotes today. And you may have read about this. This was uh, a week or so ago from, in real time from when I recorded this. Harvard University just hired their, as their chief chaplain an atheist. A chief chaplain that's an atheist, how helpful will that be not? The question is, how did we get here? And the answer is that it all lies in the fact that Scripture is no longer taught in the Bible largely. There are good churches that teach the Bible, don't get me wrong. But the church has gone a whole different path. And you see it with all of the, not only liberalism, but the uh, live your best life now messages. And see, within the book of Second Peter, there's an overriding theme. And that theme is this. It's a book about how to live set apart to Christ with the challenges that we face and to anticipate his return. Now, Peter bookends his letter addressing these very concerns. Now, when you create, one of the things that you're doing is that you are creating a legacy. You're creating a legacy by making art in the world that will affect others even when you're not around. Now grab a hold of this, disciples. You're making a legacy by making art in the world that will affect others even when you're not around. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I say when you're not around, I'm not just referring to when you go home to be with the Lord or when the Lord returns for us. There's more to it than that. Your legacy is also about the here and now. Everything you create is affecting people when you're not around. See that song that you've recorded? Every time they play it, it's affecting them. They play it because it makes them feel a certain way and reminds them of something that is very important to them right now. When they're reading what you've written, it's affecting them right then. You're not around, but it's affecting them right there. And it's making them feel a certain way. You're influencing them. That painting you create, every time they look at it, you're lifting them up. It makes them feel a certain way. You see, you're leaving a legacy in the here and now. And what are the things that will keep us living and creating strong for the Lord until we're with him. That becomes really the question here. What will keep us living for Christ in these days when everything is telling us that Jesus is coming soon? What's going to keep us running our race with endurance? Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, we've been surrounded. Now, he's speaking there, of course, of Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, look at all of these people through biblical history. And then we can also include, look at the people that are running their race now. They're examples he says, let us lay aside every weight. Anything that is keeping us from running the race that the Lord has given to us. That that weighs us down. He says, lay it aside. 
He said, sin's going to be something that will try to cling to you. Much like he told Cain. Cain, he says, sin is like an animal crouching. It's crouching to jump out and take you. And he says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Your race is before you. You have much purpose. How can we live in that victory? And that's what Peter is going to talk to us about. This is the charge of the writer of Hebrews. We were, surra we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and run with endurance this race. It's enduring till the end to do all that God has given us to do. Now, this small letter from the Apostle Peter is loaded with import for you and I right now. Now, let's set the scene here a little bit. This is written between 64 and 67 AD. Peter's in Rome. He knows his crucifixion is upcoming. He tells us that point blank in verse 14 of this book. He says, Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 14, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. Peter knew his time was up. He knew that he was going home to be with the Lord. And so when he writes this letter, writes this epistle, what he's doing is he's putting down those things that are really important. He's putting down those things that he wants the people that come after him to constantly be reminded of. And it's critical to note here that it was the Lord Jesus who made this clear to him. You see, when the Lord is guiding us, when he is directing us, when he is speaking to us, he can and will make himself known to us if we listen to his voice. His word speaks, and we need only to obey the prompting of his spirit. Uh, he will speak to us. He's given us his promises. He's given us all of these things to just listen that we can hear him. Uh, Psalm 32, 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. You see, he's given us so much in his word. And we're going to see all that as we go through the book. Now, there's, I'm going to take a little side note here too, disciples. Uh, when we talk about looking through scripture, in Peter's time, and Peter would have been brought up this way, he would have been brought up, or if you were a Jew, of Peter's time and before, if you go back into between the Testament periods and earlier, um, the Jews of that time, they were taught how to read the Bible from Psalm 1. And this is really important for us. You'll notice it says in Psalm 1, starting in verse 1, here's a pattern here. And this pattern is really critical to understand. And if we will implement this, we will, we will be strengthened. You talk about a life of victory because, yeah, there's going to be battles. Yes, we're going to face difficulties. So we've got to be strong. Psalm 1 tells us how to go about doing that. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, verse 1, when he says blessed here, the idea behind blessed is to make straight, to walk straight down the path. It can mean to flourish. He's saying if you want to have a flourishing life, 
he first gives us three things not to do. He says, do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. That means you're going to be taking advice. You're going to be looking to the world for their advice. And you know, there is plenty of that out there. But the psalmist says, first of all, don't listen to the advice of the world. And then you notice he says, who stands in the way of sinners. That word stands means like to plant something. In other words, you're going to take a stand in the ways that sinners do things. You're going to begin to believe what they believe. Why? Because you've been listening to their counsel. And then you notice he says, or sit in the seat of scoffers. That word scoffers there in the Hebrew, it means somebody who mocks the things of God. Now, I want you to notice the progression here. These are the things not to do. The progression is this, walking, standing, sitting. See, first you walk along and you entertain this stuff of the world. Then suddenly you begin to take a stand. You st well, yeah, I think I believe that. And then you sit. Why? Because you're comfortable. And when you're sitting and you're comfortable with the world's ways, what happens? You start to mock the people who are serious about their faith, who are following Jesus. So he says, these are the ways, if you, if you want to be blessed, if you want to walk straight in the path that the Lord has for you, he says, first of all, don't do these three things. But then he goes to verse 2. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. When he says here, delight, the Hebrew word here has the idea of, you can't get enough of this. So you can't get enough of God's word. You can't get enough of the Lord in your life. You can't get enough of hearing from him. That's what he's talking about here. You see, if we delight in the law of the Lord, and then he says, and on his law, he meditates day and night. Here's what that word means. The Hebrew here means to speak to yourself over and over. It means to ponder. This is how the Jews of Peter's day would live. They would take the word in. And remember now, in context, historical context, uh, Peter didn't have a Bible. We are so blessed to have a Bible we can carry around, that we can read, that we can open up on our phones, you know, all that stuff. Peter had none of that. The Word, the Scripture, which of course at that time was the Old Testament, it was communal property. So it was in scrolls, it was down at the synagogue. So what did the people do from the early, early age? They were memorizing God's Word. So they would, they would go to synagogue, they would hear it, and they would meditate on it. They would repeat it to themselves. They would ponder on it all day long. You see, this is what the psalmist is saying here. On his law, he meditates, he ponders it, he repeats it to himself day and night. This is a constant thing. Then look at verse 3. It says, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he's prosperous. Ah, now here, here are the things of a victorious life. This is the things, as we look at Peter, what Peter writes, they're going to really impact us as we meditate on them. See, there is a motif in the Old Testament, in Scripture, actually, all the way through. And that is that people are trees. So you see, as you meditate on God's Word, as you're pondering it, as you're uh, 
rolling it around in your mind as you're repeating it to yourself all day. He says you're going to be like a tree planted by streams of water. Remember, you've got the living water of Christ in you. It's always there. The Holy Spirit is always there working, ministering to you. What the result of that? Ooh, it's the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5. You're, and it's, it's fruit in season. Your leaf will not wither. You're always going to be green. And whatever you do, you prosper. You're going to have the leadership of the Lord. It doesn't mean you're not going to have failures. Please don't hear that. What it means is you're going to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. We all have failures. We all have ups and downs. But if we are constantly meditating on the Word of God, we're pondering it. We're repeating it to ourselves. If we're doing that, we're going to be this flourishing tree. We're going to walk straight. That's the pattern that the Jews of Peter's time lived by in terms of Scripture. And you see, the reason the church is in the condition it is today is that doesn't happen much. It's not emphasized much. So this is what we're going to see as we go through the, uh, the book. And you'll notice in verses 4 through 6, it talks about the wicked and the, how the wicked, they're not like that at all. So they're going to stand in the judgment. So we're going to look at a book that will strengthen us, that will show us how to live in victory. Because it's so important. And for Peter, remember, he's thought these things through. The Holy Spirit has ministered to him. Everything that is written here is after much time of reflection and ministry of the Holy Spirit. All of this was given as Peter looked back. He saw the people he had ministered to, and he saw the things that had caused them to stumble. And his heart is that you and I stay strong in these things. And these are the things that are universal for believers to endure to the end. No matter what era, from the ascension of Christ to right now, these are the things that will cause us to endure, and not only that, but to flourish and to be able to live a life of victory. See, it doesn't mean we're not going to have challenges. What it means is we're going to overcome them. Greater is the one that is in you than the one that is in the world. The apostle John tells us. He says, this is the victory that's overcome the world, even our faith. 1 John 5, 4 tells us that. So there is a life of victory that Peter is going to walk us through as we go through this book. Now, it's very interesting because you see right from the very uh, beginning of the book, Peter pairs a lot of words. And these pairs tend to compare and contrast each other. So we'll see that. Five times Peter uses the word remind, reminder, remembrance to describe how he is strengthening these believers. Now, no doubt he knew from personal experience. You know, he'd been pastoring a, a long time. He cared for a lot of people. And he realized how easily we all forget what we've been taught. You see, repetition, that meditation is critical to a life of strength in the Lord. And there's one more thing. It's Peter's understanding of the imminent return of the Lord that was critical to living a life of victory. You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm going to say a week ago or so from when I'm recording this, I listened to a message and this pastor got up in front of his church and he told everybody there that it is not important to live 
with the constant expectation of Jesus' return. Now, I don't know where you can possibly come up with that. But he told them it wasn't important. In fact, he viewed it as a hindrance. You know, you may have heard the expression, Oh, you're so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. You know, that saying just drives me nuts because it's just not true. The truth is this. The more heavenly-minded you are, the more earthly good you are. The more you live with this idea that Jesus could return at any moment, and we know that's true, you can't get through Matthew chapter 25 and not see how important the eminence of the return of Christ is to the Christian. But you see, there's a realization, the more we think about that, of who God is, of what Jesus has done, of what eternity holds for us, and that prompts us to live for him more. You see, we understand that without Jesus, the future ain't so good. But with him, oh, good grief, it's more than we can comprehend. That we can act the way that Jesus acted. That we can move in the Spirit's power. It's to know God more intimately and personally than we could possibly believe. It's to be a true imager of him here on this earth. One scholar put it this way, eschatology determines ethics. I think that's so interesting. Eschatology determines ethics. Now, we're going to begin our study here, and we begin here with these first words of Peter. This is 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 and 2 here. Okay, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We're going to stop right there. Now, some translations will say, instead of Simeon, it will say Simon. Now, the reason they put that there is Simon is just the Greek way of spelling Simeon. The ESV puts in Simeon because that was the, the Hebrew word. Here's what's so interesting about this, disciples, uh, that Peter uses, you'll notice he uses both of his names to introduce himself here. Now, remember, he's talking to a, a, a people that he's familiar with. He's, he's talking from a pastor's perspective, so to speak. And he uses both of his names as he addresses these final words. Now, Peter opened his first letter this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. You know, his emphasis in the first letter, you'll notice, was that he was an apostle. And he used the name that Jesus had given him, Peter. Why did he do that there? Because he was establishing his authority so his words would be taken seriously. I'm an apostle, and I am an apostle and a disciple of Jesus. I was there. So he's using Peter, which is the name, the nickname, so to speak, that Jesus had given him. Here, however, he's using Simeon Peter, or Simon Peter. Now, he's doing that on very intentionally. He uses his pre-Jesus name, and he uses his post-Jesus name. 
Now, this is after much reflection and, of course, prompting by the Holy Spirit. The question is, why? Why did he do that? He's reminding them, first of all, that Jesus has made a tremendous difference in his life. Now, when somebody would have read Simeon here, especially a Jewish believer. And remember, Peter, his ministry was in Jerusalem. So he ministered to the Jews. When they saw Simeon, what does that name mean? It means heard of God. And that would have taken that Jewish listener of his letter here right back to Genesis chapter 29, verse 33. And there it says this, says she, now he's speaking here of Leah, who was Simeon's mother, conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Simeon now was Leah's second son. Of course, Jacob was his father. And the birth of that son was a sign to Leah that God had heard her, that God had seen what is going on, that there was a, a problem there the way Jacob treated her. The birth of that son was a sign to Leah that God had heard her prayers. Now, it's interesting, disciples. Reuben was the firstborn. Reuben here means God has seen my affliction. And then God hears her prayers, her pleas. See, for Leah, you see, she's seeing God is a God who sees affliction and then hears her prayers. That's what God does in the midst of any affliction. There's a pattern here. In the midst of any affliction, he sees, he hears, and he acts. Psalm 34, 15 says this, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears toward their cry. When Peter uses these two names, that truth just leaps out at you and I. It no doubt kept leapt out of these believers as well. With all their facing, all the persecutions, all of the challenges, the first two words of this epistle are such a reassurance to them. This is who God is. It's God who hears. It's God who sees. He sees everything that we're going through. Disciples, right now, no matter what you're facing, God sees it. Those prayers that seem to be just not going anywhere, God hears them. Psalm 146, verse 8 says this, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Now notice those three things. There are places of blindness in our lives, places that we don't see a problem. It can be in ourselves and how we approach things. You know, our greatest blindness is in things about ourselves. That's why Jesus said, you know, don't go around criticizing everybody else. Take the plank out of your own eye before you go looking at the speck in the other person's eye. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. We can be so blind, but the Lord opens our eyes and he shows us this is what you need to focus on. These are the things that need to be dealt with, that we can make the correct decision, that we can get through that problem and overcome it. God opens our eyes. You know, if we're feeling worthless, if we're feeling abandoned, it's God then who sees and lifts us up. If we're in a place where we just are bowed down, the weights are so heavy that we just are bowed under them, God lifts the burden. Remember Jesus said, his burdens are light. 
and you see God loves the righteous. He loves you. That righteousness, that was given to you because you received Jesus. He loves you. And he gives it to you freely. All of that. You're in Christ. Never forget the love that Jesus has for you, no matter where you find yourself right now. And this is a really important uh, point to grasp, disciples. I want you to grab onto this. Simeon was an answer to his mother's prayers. You are an answer to someone's prayers, too. Never forget that. When someone has been praying about issues in their lives, and then you come along and you give them that word of encouragement. You come alongside them and you pray for them. You're an answer to someone's prayers. Someone may read a word that you have written, and that's an answer to their prayers. Someone may see a piece of work that you have done, a painting, sculpture, and it lifts them up so much, you are an answer to their prayers. You know that song that you struggled over and you finally were able to perform it? Or that poem you wrote? Anything, your performance you went into, all of these things. Somebody comes in contact with what you've created because it's spirit-filled. And you're an answer to their prayers. Never forget that, disciples. Your work will come into somebody's life by a by divine appointment and they're ministered to in ways you could not imagine you're an answer to their prayer people pray and the lord has you right here and now to answer that prayer never forget that disciples there's more here as well as we look at this whole idea of the two names of, that peter uses the jewish readers would also have remembered this that Simeon was the brother that was left behind by all of his other brothers at the command of Joseph. He was left in Egypt until they returned with their father Jacob, who was in Canaan, and brought back Joseph's only full brother, Benjamin. I think this is so interesting. Now remember, Egypt is a type of the world. Joseph is a type of Christ. Him, Simeon was held in prison. He was held in the world in Egypt until he was released by Joseph who is a type of Christ. See, that's Peter's story. He was in the world. He was held until Jesus. That's your story too. And the readers would have also made this connection with the name that Jesus gave him. Jesus called him Peter, Rock. Now, this is Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, and then verses 15 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The confession of Jesus as Messiah, and that in that profession, Peter states unequivocally, Jesus is God in the flesh, come to earth. And that truth 
That rock never leaves us. Jesus never leaves us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 says this, Now, they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Of course, this is talking about Moses and the two times he first is told to strike the rock. The second time he is told to speak to the rock. Strike the rock. Jesus' crucifixion. Speak to the rock, calling on him. And of course, first and the first and second coming, there's so much there I just can't even get into right now. But this is the bottom line. This is the fullness of living in Christ. You see, that, that rock, Jesus, followed the Israelites all through the Old Testament, all through those 40 years of wanderings. Jesus, that rock, is following you. He's with you all the time. He's leading you. He never leaves you. That's the idea here. He feeds us when we're hungry. He fills us with living water when we're thirsty. He meets every need. Not only that, but his gospel is unchanging. It's an unmoving truth. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 says this, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You know, I love all of the idioms in Scripture about the rock, about the stone that points to Jesus. You see, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer aliens to the Lord. But your fellow citizens, along with everyone else who's received him, into the household, that's really important, the household of gold. God, you're in the dwelling place of God. And you're built on that foundation of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone of our lives. Everything can be built upon him because he sets the direction and he steadied us. Look at what he writes next. This is kind of in uh, the last part of the first verse here. He says, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, here we begin to see Peter already coupling phrases, a servant and an apostle. Now, in the first letter, he was concerned, you know, he was writing to get his authority so that his, word was, his words would be taken seriously. But here, Peter focuses on the fact that he's a servant and apostle. Peter tells us that being a servant should be a characteristic of those called of Christ. Now, the word servant there is bondservant, and it means a slave by choice. You see, it's out of love for his master that one would become a bondservant. And remember, there's always a choice. There's always a choice. You choose to follow Jesus. They're never pressured into it. So he says that he is a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And then look at the middle part here. He says, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. This is so critical right now. And he could be writing to us right now. And you can see his pastor's heart here in this. Uh, what Peter is talking about is that he says, we've obtained a faith of equal standing. He's emphasizing something here. Obtained is a very interesting word. It means literally to obtain by lot. And the idea here is that God is behind their salvation. The idea is that God is sovereign. Every decision of the lot 
was from him. If you're dealing in Peter's day, every decision of the lot was from him. God is sovereign over everything. And this would have reminded the readers all, the, all through the Old Testament, the lot was used to determine God's will and decisions. This is Numbers chapter 36, verse 2. They said, the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land for an inheritance by lot to the people of Israel. And my Lord was commanded by the Lord to give the inheritance to Zeolophat and our, our brother and his daughters. So see, the Jewish priests and the Levites were chosen for daily service. How? By lot. You see, Peter's saying your salvation was no accident. God was in it. And he points out something else that's very important. No one in the church is above another. When he says you've obtained that faith, we're all of equal standing. Now the reference here is to the Jewish believer is that nobody is higher, no one is better. There's not any more this hierarchy of believers, but that the believers are all on the same playing field. We're all equal in the Lord's sight. Romans 10, 12 says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same is Lord, the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. This is so important, disciples. Never look at another believer as better than you are in the Lord. It's so easy. It's so easy to do. Each one of us are in a different point in our walk, different maturity, all of that. And you see, we're to come alongside each other and to build each other up. We're to be maturing one another. There's no celebrities in God's church. There's no partiality. That is so terribly destructive. Peter knew the problem would be there. He'd seen it in the church of his time. There were people always trying to make themselves something they weren't. You see, they wanted people to focus on them and not on Jesus. Peter tells us here that we are all on the same footing. You know, there's this whole celebrity culture in our world. And you know, in the arts, it's, it can be really bad. It can be just like, oh, you know, and we can start to put people up on pedestals. Peter says, don't do that. We're all the same footing. We're all the same. We all are righteous because of Christ. None of us were worthy. None of us were, you know, better than the other. He says, we've obtained it. God chose us. All by the, all by the same. We're not because you were better. You weren't going to be such a special gift to God. They weren't such a special gift to God, and you weren't. That's not at all the case. That we are all the same in Christ. And then he closes out this verse and he says, our, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's by his righteousness that we all are saved. We've obtained an equal standing before the Lord. And then he says, because of the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter leaves no doubt about who it is that you belong to. You belong to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Disciples were just one verse in, and look at everything that the Lord has packed into that one verse. Here are the things of a life of victory. And here are the things that will cause us to move forward in that calling that you have. So that we can be lights shining for Christ in this world. Well, that does it. Can you believe it? This episode is done. Thank you so much for joining me on the episode. Now, don't forget to share the podcast. 
like the podcast, uh, leave a review on your favorite platform if you can. Let's see, what that does is it helps get it out to more people. Uh, the music on the show is by Chris Matson Worship, and you can follow him on Instagram and YouTube at Chris Matson Worship. You can stay in touch with me on Instagram and Gab at The Creator's Calling. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. And please join me again as together we follow Jesus and listen for the Creator's calling. Bye for now.